This is the Culture Matters Podcast. Hello, Culture Matters Podcast. I am very excited to introduce you to our guest. But before I do that, let me share with you a quote I picked just for this podcast. Here it is. Those who have virtue always in their mouths and neglect it in practice are like a harp, which emits a sound pleasing to others, while itself is insensible of the music. Diogenes. See, we believe here culture matters when people read to think, write to develop, listen to hear what is unsaid, and speak to let go. They develop more value for themselves and others. So our purpose of this podcast is to uncover the genius of our guest with the goal to make you, the listener, your curiosity cool. Because our vision is that human culture is open, curious, and focused on creating the future. So our mission is to read, write, listen, and speak every single day. And without further ado, I would like to introduce you to a new friend of mine who I recently met, who was an orator at the top contractor retreat who completely crushed it because of how honest and open and real this man is. Now, he has been acclaimed to be a top 50 speaker in the world, a top 10 motivator in sports, and has been educating business, individuals, executives, companies in the Fortune 500 space and sports teams you've all heard of for all these years. But what I really, really, really love about Ben Newman, thank you for joining us, brother, is that he's really nice and just a good person. For 14 plus years, or no, a decade, he was top 2% earners in the financial services business, but then has written at this point, seven books, the most recent book, Uncommon Leadership, will be out August 3rd. So please pre-order that now. Um, he's just a really amazing guy, and I'm, I'm really grateful to have you on here, brother. I, uh, I never feel as though I do enough for the intro, so I, I want to say more, but I'm going to stop because I have questions. I'm, gl- I'm, I'm glad you're stopping because that's enough. I'll tell you, here's what, <laughs> I want everybody, here's what I want everybody to know. And what I pulled from what you just said, I really appreciate that you say just a good guy. Because, you know, you, you read, you know, people get these bios. And what I remember, I remember leaving Top Golf and being at this amazing Top Contractor School event. I mean, Brian has did it right. And we're all standing at the bottom of the steps and we're singing happy birthday to him. And he comes down and we get in the car. And all of us just laughed, right? It was Jenna. It was Lori. It was Brian. It was you. It was me. And we just laughed and had a good time driving from Top Golf back to the hotel. <laughs> and that to me is what it's all about. It's the relationships. And there were so many people in this small room, right, filled that really helped us better understand why we were supposed to be there. And that was relationships for each other, not our individual bios. So. I'm ready for your questions. I know they're going to go deep and uh, excited to be with all of you. Well, how do you view relationships? And is it something that has changed over the years in your journey in this 
and the fields that you're involved in with, uh, I didn't even say that mental strength coaching and business advisory. So yeah, as, what's your view of relationship? Well, relationship for me is everything. You know, if you don't have a relationship, and I think this is where a lot of coaches actually have a tendency to miss, is that if you don't understand what's in somebody's heart, if you don't understand how somebody thinks, if you don't understand what drives somebody, and you just want to share a tool with them, and it isn't just a coach, this could be a leader of a business, right? So we say, we're going we're gonna to get to the relationship later, but I'm going to tell you what you can do to be successful, most people don't want to be told. They want a relationship. They want to know, like, do you care about me? Do I want to go on this journey with you? Do I want to step on this field with you? Do I want to go onto this boardroom with you? Do I want to walk into this sales situation with you? And so for me, relationships are everything. And, you know, when people read the bios and they see, yeah, I, I've been blessed to work with some great teams and to win some championships. But you know what? It's the relationships. I've been, I've been named a godfather uh, the first Super Bowl champion that I ever worked with. I'm a godfather to his son. Wow. So what's more, what's more important to me, the fact that he took me to the Super Bowl or the fact that I'm the godfather of his son, right? I mean, if, if somebody has those mixed up, there's a problem. And so for me, I mean, that's one of the coolest things ever was when he called and said, you're going to be the godfather of my son. I mean, it's like you're getting tears. And so, yes, relationships is what is most important to me. Have you noticed that those that are in positions of influence that you work with and around your, your of rela actual relationships with, the, 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 the burden gets heavier to carry that level of attention and responsibility uh, as they become more and more known? And, and is that something that those in those positions really truly struggle with? Is that a, co a conversation that comes up? What I, I've asked a couple questions there, but I'm really interested no, I, about the psyche of. Yeah. So what I, what I believe, right. So whether we take business or sports, if you have a leader, right. Who's responsible for a big target, a big number, we need to win these games. We need to get to 140 million of revenue. That leader has a choice. They can choose to solely focus on the number and put stress on the number. When you do that, I believe something is going to be sacrificed, and oftentimes it's relationship. And the reason why I say that is because what comes out is somebody comes into your office for a meeting, and you immediately ask them, what did you do today? What are the results? What are the results? I don't want to get this twisted. Results do matter, but results are a byproduct of tremendous culture and relationship. You're going to win a lot of football games, or you're going to make a lot of money if you invest time in your people. So the leaders that I feel I've learned the most from and I continue to learn from are the ones where I can go in and learn what's your process for understanding your people, observing how do you engage your athletes? How do you engage the members of your team, the employees that are part of your company? And I love watching that engagement because it tells you a lot as a coach who's brought in to help where the area of opportunity is or the strengths that we need to continue to hammer on and drive even more consistently. Where do you see people naturally lack in those positions? There is there certain patterns that you recognize? Well, I think it just, it depends on the leader. I mean, sometimes I think the, the pattern, the pattern that I notice is if a leader tends to focus on results, what did we do? What did we do? What are the numbers? 
then what does everybody below them do, right? They focus on the numbers. Mm-hmm. If you have a okay. coach, you have a coach who's really driven by relationships. Doesn't mean that he doesn't want to win. She doesn't want to win. She doesn't believe in growing. And But if that's the way that she shows up, loving, supportive, caring, you're probably going to have some leaders that are going to follow suit and the people that are part of your culture are going to know how much you care. And what, let's say that that doesn't occur. Let's say it's just focusing on the what or what performance uh, goals uh, they need to make. And it's that, it's that type of culture. What do you see go awry or go wrong or some of the um, negative effects of that? Well, I think the, the most negative effect, and this is going to be kind of an, an interesting answer that uh, you'll want to ruminate on for, uh, for a little while here. And I think the, the listeners will as well, because it's, it's going to be an interesting answer. But I'm going to give you guys a case study of when I did work with a $7 billion solutions team from Microsoft. So <clears throat> this was about four years ago. There was a booster from the North Dakota State Bison football program. And at the time, I was working with them. And uh, now I'm at Kansas State. Their head coach brought me with him. I've been with him for seven years now. And so I'm at the team hotel getting my breakfast. And this guy comes up and he, you know, he introduces himself. I live in Austin, Texas. I come up for the games. And, but, hey, I, w- I would love to have you speak. You're the guy who runs up and down the sidelines, does all the motivational work for the team. And so I was intrigued. I'm like, this is awesome. I mean, Microsoft, I didn't realize this was going to wow. come from working with the football team. So I engaged with this team. This team was 12 leaders. $7 billion solutions team responsible for 350 people in Canada and the United States on their team in, in the sector in which they work for Microsoft. So I go in. Their team, Jay, they were killing it. They were absolutely crushing it. Yet, I went around the room, and this is what I have a tendency to do. I'll ask and say, how, how are you doing on a scale of 1 to 10 in your conversations with the people that you lead on what their burn is. Like, what's the fire inside them? Do you understand the real drive of your people? And we recognized that there actually was a very low percentage of the leaders who knew what drove their people. They were really focused more on results than that. Now, given, what did I say? This was already a successful team. Mm. So I, I, I love this example based upon your question because sometimes you really have to look hard with great intention, which I know you believe in, in order to actually see the opportunity. Because most people would say, this team's doing great. But I looked at it and said, if you're not connecting with your people on a deep enough level, I got some great news for you. You guys are tremendously talented because you're like a 5.2 on a scale on the average on 1 to 10 on actually knowing what drives your people and look at your results. Can you imagine if we actually spend more time getting to know your people and caring about your people, what do you think happens to your results then? So fast forward, this was a one-year contract. Microsoft likes to mix it up with their coaching. So a lot of times it'll be one year. That's the way they are. Technology moves fast. They like to keep their people sharp. So at the end of the year, I received feedback and I shared a tool. I call it an unexpected intentional touch. So I said, you've got 12 leaders, 350 people. There were 30 to 40 people that each leader was responsible for growing and developing, depending upon who it was. And so I said, what I'd love for you all to try, this was the beginning of our work together, an unexpected intentional touch. Don't wait for Jay 
to come into your office on a scheduled review to tell Jay that you really appreciate his work. If you're walking down the hallway and you hear Jay engaged with a client on the phone, his energy is great, his enthusiasm, his intention, his awareness, go back to your office and send him a text message. Jay, I just heard you on the phone. I can't tell you how much I love and appreciate having you on our team. That's an unexpected intentional touch. So we get to the end of our first year and I ask, 10 out of the 12 leaders said over the course of that year, the most significant change they had made was unexpected intentional touches. That particular team from Microsoft, Microsoft has what they call a health score. And a health score, they, they rate the teams, right? Like this team, the other teams of leaders, based on how did you do, what were your results, what's your client engagement, what's your you know employee engagement. They had this team had the highest health score in the entire company in the world for Microsoft that year. And so you think to yourself, what was the difference? Once I, I'm not taking any credit for this. I didn't do one unexpected intentional touch. I didn't tell anybody what to say. They chose to start showing up differently for their people and their growth was so significant. I mean, it was incredible how much they actually grew. Yet when I started, you could have, yes. looked, and, you could have looked and said, they're doing awesome. And so I think that's what it is oftentimes, Jay, is can we as coaches, can we as leaders go in and ask the right questions to say, are you actually connecting deep enough to get the most out of your people? Let's not just be content with you're doing really well. What do you think it was about that leader that saw you? Did they see you speak somewhere? They would see me running up and down the sidelines and then the, you know, the team would put videos out of me in the locker room. He also spent time getting to know who I was. And so I know we may talk about this here in a little bit, but, you know, he went to my website and he realized I'm a very emotional guy. I cry when I watch extreme home makeovers. I lost my mother at a very young age. I'm sure you know we'll probably talk a little bit about that. But here's what I found out. He researched me and I figured this out after I heard him speak in front of his team for the first time. And I'll never wow. forget, he had me come to this retreat in this beautiful, it was up, uh, I think it was in Minnesota, this beautiful, like, it was like a little like lake town in Minnesota. And I heard him speak to his team. He was so emotional. He was so open. He was so transparent. And he was crying in front of his people. And I literally knew that's why he brought me in. He didn't bring me in because veins pop out of my neck when I'm in the locker room with his favorite ah. football team. With his favorite football team, he brought me in because we're both emotional leaders. And I appreciate what you said in the introduction about me being transparent and authentic. That's why I think he brought me in was because I was just like him. And have you noticed that 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 lacks or does that change in any way when uh, success occurs in these corporate environments that you go into? There's something that you spoke, and the reason I asked that is there's something you spoke about at the retreat when you said, don't be seduced by success. So now I'm thinking that's going to be an attachment. Yeah. So for everybody listening, I believe that the highest performers, they're not seduced by success. So the moment, right? So for me, my burn is can I on a daily basis? And I know I can. Can I connect to my burn, which is continuing to write my mother's story? My mother died at 38 years old. I'm 42. 
every day that goes by, I was, I've been given four extra blessings of years day by day that my mother never got. How could I not own every single day? My mother had 24-hour nursing care in our house when I was a seven-year-old boy. So I choose to make the most of every single day. <clears throat> Just like for each and every one of you listening, if you look at your highest levels of performance, hopefully it wasn't challenge and adversity that I've been through losing a mom far too soon. Maybe it was something you were pushing for. Maybe it was a trip you wanted to take your kids on. Maybe it was something you wanted to do for a significant other. But the periods of time we operate our highest level, some people, I call it the burn. Some people call it it. There was probably something that was driving you to show up differently. So when you were getting results, you were so driven by that burn or that it inside of you. It didn't matter what the results were. You're like, I'm going to go do it again tomorrow. And that's the seduction of success that high performers don't have. Mm. They just wake up and say, I want to go do it again tomorrow. I want to have that feeling of being my best tomorrow. Many individuals, they're seduced by success. They allow their feelings to dictate how they show up. So, Jay, you could be coaching an individual who they had the best sales day of their life yesterday. And it turned it because of that day, it's going to be the best quarter that they've ever had. And it's literally July the 2nd, and we're in the first month or the first couple days of the third quarter. And so they don't work the rest of the quarter. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the third quarter, they're like, Jay, what happened? Don't you remember we were on fire? And you have to deliver the news. Hey, you stopped working after you had that really great day. And when we average out that one great day over three months, it became average, if not below average. They were seduced by success. And so I've, I found the highest performers, they're not seduced by success. They believe that winning is their ability to look in the mirror every day and say, I gave it my best. If you stack days of I gave it my very best on top of each other over and over and over and over again, the byproduct, you will win a lot in your life. I don't care what you do. When... Do, oh, okay. Do you, do you, what's your process of interacting with the person that says, um, why isn't it working? And you see that they may not be aware of that. They're, they haven't even done the work. How, how do you, how do you Ben Newman interact with that said individual? Fabulous question. So I did research years ago, and I'm sure you, you're familiar with this stuff, but uh, Max Weber. Sociologist. Weber, yep, sociologist. So Weber talks about the difference of power versus authority. So power is when you force or coerce somebody to do your will. Authority is when you inspire or empower them to choose what they should do. And so when I read this from Weber... I developed a philosophy that I call questions over statements. So in that situation, let's say if it was you, Jay, I could look at you and go, what the hell are you doing? If you keep this up, I mean, this is like failure at its highest level. This is not going to work. What in the world are you doing? Now, I'm being extreme to, to make the point. That's probably not going to be very effective. That's me getting in your face saying, stop what you're doing. Go back to what you were doing if you want to have success again. I prefer to ask a question. Hey, Jay, how have you been showing up? How are you feeling about how you've been showing up? You're going to give a response. <clears throat> Jay, let me, let me just share with you an observation I have. 
your second quarter last year, even though it wasn't the best quarter you ever had, you were so engaged in process. Did you feel that way? Yeah, I was. I was. I was working hard every day. Okay. That second quarter, how you showed up, how would you compare how you showed up in that second quarter to how you're showing up right now? And then you'd probably say, well, I'm not showing up the way I did in second quarter. Okay. Well, Jay, that leads me to believe your energy, right? Your momentum comes from you working hard every day, not closing one big sale. So what do you think is best for you right now? Do you think maybe it would make sense to go back to that second quarter behavior or is there a different solution? Right. So I'm just asking question after question after question. Typically, the person's going to engage and go, thank you so much for the conversation. I need to get back to what I was doing in the second quarter. Perfect. I support you. I love you. I'm here to help you. And I tend to agree. I think if you do that, you're going to be happier and you're going to get your momentum back. And they're going to walk away from that conversation going, that was really great. You know, Ben observed my behavior. He helped me think through this. He asked me these great questions and they chose the behavior. I didn't tell them what to do. What a type of effort do you put into priming yourself for those types of conversations or do you put any effort into that? Or is this a, a nap? Is it, or is it easier? Would you say easy for you to burden the, someone else's contradictions? So I, so I think I'm guessing my answer might be similar to, I'm, I'm going to give you an answer you're not going to expect, but I think the philosophy will be similar to how you show up in terms of how I observe you in terms of the way that you take notes, the way that you ask questions, just seeing you engage, you know, with Brian, right. In, in, in helping put on this amazing event that they did. So I have a tremendously disciplined morning routine. My morning routine is at such a high level of discipline that 90% of my to-do or action items for the day are completed before 6 o'clock in the morning. And what that that does is it gives me the ability when I'm with you one-on-one to be with you one-on-one. So number one, I'm a a voracious note-taker. So if we're working together... I'm going to have copious notes. I'm going to know what your burn is. I'm going to know what you're focused on. I'm going to remember how you, I'm going to be able to scroll back and say in that second quarter on, you know, this date, right on, on May 13th, when we had a meeting, this is what you were. So I could go back, but I tend to remember because I'm that locked in. And so once again, many people listening, you're probably not, not a coach, but as a leader, are you worried about what you have to do sitting in that meeting with Jay when I'm supposed to be? Because if you are, it's pretty hard to be engaged and to focus. If I really don't have much on my to-do list and you build a calendar that allows you to have free time to do your text messages and emails, because stuff will happen throughout the day. Mm. All I want is to have clarity and intentional focus when I'm with you. And when you do that, I believe it allows us to lock in and focus and to be the best coach or leader that we can be, because all I'm worried about is you. I'm not, I'm not worried about 10 other things that I've been procrastinating on that day. I'm just worried about you. Was there a time in your life where this wasn't a constant? This wasn't a discipline? Yeah, the, it was, I'll tell you when it was. So it, it, once again, this would be an answer people probably won't expect. So 
I actually, my, my career speaking, writing, coaching, it started in 2006. And I'm not going to say this to impress anybody, it's to impress upon the point. But in, two, in 2004, I started as a financial advisor with Northwestern Mutual <clears throat> because $100,000 of term insurance when my mother passed away funded my college education. I had this tremendous passion for selling life insurance. And I never scared anybody with my mother's story, but it was like there was this passion. I want to help other people write the stories of the little boy just like me when their mom or dad can buy insurance for them. So I had this tremendous passion. I got invited to speak because I set records for this Fortune 100 financial firm for first year production. So this office, two years later, says, we'll pay you $500 to come and speak. And I'm just like, that's a thing. You can get paid, paid yeah. to go and speak. So I had no idea. I'm 26. That we'll pay all your expenses. So at the time, that's when the birth of my speaking, coaching, and writing started. So fast forward... 2008, 2009, I had two full-blown businesses. I had team members in each business. Jay, it was so hard because I would be in a coaching meeting with you worried about the underwriting on, you know, Brian Hess's life insurance policy, and it was cloudy, and I didn't have the clarity that I needed. And I think this will relate. Let me tie it back. People are probably wondering what the, he's telling two completely different stories. I promise you guys, I'm telling one story. And so it seems like two different things, but how often in our lives are we focusing on so many different things rather than really locking in on what's most important? And my coach, her name is Laura Pierce. So this was my coach for, I've worked with her for over 15 years and she's a bulldog. She's amazing. But I remember in 2010, she says, do you think you'll ever leave Northwestern? No, I wouldn't. I'll always be 50-50, right? I'll always. She said, why are you trying to control something that's not in your control? She said, what if you woke up every day and you said, I just, I surrender to whatever God has in store for me. And every day you just go to work. You just surrender. And so I started surrendering every day. And 100% of my time was speaking, writing, and coaching. And today I'm not worried about anybody's underwriting on their life insurance policy, I can be locked in and focused because this is what I do. And so I share all that to encourage everybody, you know, make sure you pay attention to what your priorities are, what's most mm. important. We only have so much time. And typically, if somebody is distracted, it's because there's something going on with their priorities, which creates a lack of focus, or there's a lack of discipline to do the things they need to do to stay organized so that they can be present with what they're supposed to be doing. Were you already a disciplined person or does that, did you have to become disciplined? Whether either prior to the insurance business? So I've always had a lot of discipline. Part of, of my growing up, uh, you know, losing your mother was a very difficult thing. Uh, I had a very challenging relationship with my father and it was a double-edged sword. You know, with my father, nothing was ever good enough. So it's, you know, he was a very successful trial attorney. Is that correct? That's, that's correct. Yep. Very, very successful trial attorney. And so I always felt that nothing was ever good enough. So I always wanted to do everything perfect. And, and Jay, you, you know, this, that can be a challenging mindset to operate from. Yeah. 
but it can also be a very successful. So it's something I've struggled with, right? Because sometimes even as a 42-year-old man now, I'm not that little boy anymore, I go back to seeking perfection. And that's where I have to constantly remind myself, Ben, you just have to be your best every day. I will never be perfect. I still have two coaches. I read books every single day. <laughs> like, I'm, Have you recognized this being a pattern with the most high performers? I think typically there are high performers. There's something that happens somewhere in their life that certainly some event that causes you to be the way you are. You're, you're, you're very disorganized because of some event or you're very, I mean, shit, I'm just downright anal or you're just, you're very mm. anal. Like I am like everything has to be the way that it is because of an event. I think the most successful people they're transparent enough to say, yes, this is a problem and an issue, but can I have somebody help me in order to turn this into a strength or at least learn how to contain it so that I can operate at my highest level with my issues? Do you and think I got you'd be where, where you are if it wasn't for mentorship or the coaching that you've invested no. in? For I know I've been given long-winded answers. I'm going to give one word answer. No. No, what do you tell someone that's listening to this that may have just recently come across the podcast and not, you know, not, not be, they're not open to being curious. They're not open to outside help or asking for it, or they don't even know they're not open. You know, they just don't have anybody helping them and they're just used to doing themselves. So, so most I always, I give the analogy. <clears throat> so for everybody listening, if that's the case, right? If right now somebody listening, and look, this, this is fair. Jay and I are two people who deeply care about people. We love being able to coach and help develop people. And this is a very, very fair situation. None of you can see us. We can't see you. So when we ask you, we have no idea what we can't read you right now to determine. So this is like one-on-one -on -one coaching with Jay and I for you. And so <clears throat> when that's, when that's the situation, I tend to, to go to that individual and just give them the analogy. Did you ever play sports? Did you ever play the piano? Did you play the cello? Like growing up as a kid, right? Let's say if you were in the band, did you just show up and pick up the trumpet and you just started playing it? Or was there a band teacher who taught you about the notes and taught you how to play and taught you how to read music? Like you relied on somebody. Mm. And you were probably welcome to, we're a kid. We didn't know. We didn't have the world telling us no a thousand times. We, we hadn't had loss and challenge and I lost my job. I've had this pain. I lost my girlfriend. I lost my boyfriend. This happened with my wife. He's negative. We're just a kid. Yeah. Band teacher, come help me. Or your basketball coach. Hey, Jay, let me help. Okay. You're my coach. Yes. You never showed up to a basketball game and the coach wasn't there. And all of a sudden, you guys just played the game. You wouldn't have known what to do. And so I always like going back to that because it kind of catches people to remember. How would you learn what you learned? Did you graduate high school never having a teacher in your class? <laughs> like For those that went to college, did you get your degree mm -hmm. because there was never a professor? You just self-taught? And so sometimes we forget, what's wrong with checking? Yep. What did I just tell you guys? I have two coaches. One, one, Jay, one of my coaches is 31 years old, right? He's 31. I'm 42. This 31-year-old, he's way smarter than me. He is so sharp. 
He is so talented. I love learning from him. What the hell does his age matter? Am I going to say, mm. I'm, I'm 42, you can't coach me? No. I think at some point in time, we have to say, if there's somebody that can help you and allow you to find a better, stronger you, why would you resist that if all you've ever known your whole life is a coach or a teacher who is there to lend a hand out to you and say, I'm here to help you? Do you think people get turned off from seeking counsel due to public schooling? I don't, I don't think I have enough. Any act, like, impact I don't know if I, I don't know if I can, if, if I have enough information myself or study of the difference. Of, you know, I, I went to public, my kids go to private. I, I can't, I like to give educated answers. I'm not a guesser. So I don't think I can give you an answer for that based upon what I know. Sure. Um, so I, I, I yeah. How about the athletes that you work with that are juggling their academics with their their genius zone, which would be the, I would think would be their sport. How do they balance the two? And does coaching in the sports help them balance the two, do you think? The, the most successful programs that I've been around, they spend a lot of time and they provide a lot of resources for athletes to spend a lot of time. You guys can't see it, but I'm pointing to my head mm. on the importance of mindset. And if we just, I know not everybody maybe loves sports or, or works in sports the way that I do that's listening, but I, I would share with you, this goes beyond just sports, but we'll use sports as sports as the example here. I think in professional sports, I am so proud of all of these athletes who are finally coming forward. You know, there was just the, the first athlete that's gay in the NFL that came forward. It's awesome, right? It, it's yeah. awesome that he had the courage to step forward because, look, he's probably not the only one. So now his ability to come forward, there's people who are going to say, hey, I'm all and he's going to be welcomed on his team and his teammates love him and he's not going to be judged. You have other athletes. I think of Kevin Love in the game of basketball. Kevin Love was one of the first athletes to say, I struggle with depression. I struggle with, with, with all of these mental issues, and I cannot do this by myself. So I think it's awesome when you see these athletes who are getting paid gazillions of dollars coming out when everybody puts up, up, up on a pedestal to say, hey, wait a second, right? I have depression. I'm dealing with issues. Or you have the athlete who comes out and says, it's okay to be courageous in life. You don't have to hide who you are. It's okay to show exactly who you are to the world. And so I think examples like that in the world of sports, which are often highlighted because these athletes are celebrities, I think it's awesome that we're starting to see a change. I mean, when I grew up as a kid, you would have never seen these things, ever. You mm -hmm. never would have seen an athlete 20 years ago, 30 years ago, talk about depression. You never would have seen that. How is that industry being affected by social media? So it, it's interesting. There was actually a reporter, the uh, the beat writer for ESPN for the Philadelphia Eagles just interviewed me. It was about three weeks ago and <clears throat> printed an article and he asked me my opinion on social media. They had one of their athletes. Everybody can go Google the article, <clears throat> but actually Jenna would really love that article. <laughs> the, the Eagles article. I probably, probably need to tell her that. Uh, I got no comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> so they, they asked me because there was a player who was struggling on that. Was struggling with it. So 
I always look at it as a case-by-case basis. Jay Duran might have great mental fortitude. You could go on social media, laugh it all off, and not care at all. I love arguing in the comment section. <laughs> See, so some people can handle it. They don't, but there's other athletes, it's a major detriment. There are some athletes where they literally they see one negative thing, and this isn't just athletes, this is everybody, but you know, athletes because they're on that, you know, that that celebrity stage, they will then go and put their name in the search box on Twitter and like open up the damn, it's like, what? You know, maybe at a bad game, you know that people are saying negative things and you're literally going to search your name to find more negative things. You and I work with people on high Mm. performance every day. That speaks to what's called expectancy theory in the world of psychology. That which you focus on expands. If you focus on negative, you get more negative. If you focus on positive, you get more positive. So I always encourage athletes, if something negative is happening, let's focus on the positive. And if that means turn off social media for the next damn week because you don't need to read the articles because that one play or that one game does not define you as a human being. Could social media be affecting sports athletes on a level that sports doesn't even know yet? Without question. I, I, That's I, I, throwing I, off the whole game, I could imagine. You, that if, if someone doesn't have somebody to talk to in that moment, I, the whole game correct. could be thrown off. Correct. And so I, I'm, I'm going to That just hit me like a lightning bolt. I'm like, wait yeah. a second. I'm, I'm going to give you an example. I'm not even going to tell you the sport. I've worked with multiple sure. different sports, hundreds of athletes. There's no way for you guys to know I'm not disclosing anything confidential. There was one athlete that I worked with in particular. He was having a period of struggle. He was paying too much attention to social media. And as a result of it, when he was out of the game, sitting on the bench, he was actually more prone to listening to what the fans were saying because he had wrapped so much of his attention into social media, which then then triggered him. We had the conversation because after the game, he goes, we got to talk through this. He goes, I was literally sitting at the game listening to the fans he goes i never listen to the fans but it had become so negative he gave so much power to social media that he started listening to what the fans were it's almost like he wanted more of the negative what do you got for me now what do you get it's like you got to learn to shut that off otherwise we're never going to move to the solution and that absolutely will impact your performance do all teams have and first of all, how do we define this specific skill set that you have that many don't? Is it, do we call it mental strength, high peak performance? What would you give me as the, is the, is the designation then? So at, I want to have Al- it right. So this is my fourth year working with the Alabama football program at Alabama. Coach Saban calls me the mental conditioning coach for the team. So mental conditioning. Now, so is that a, or go ahead. I'm sorry. And then, you know, at Kansas State, where I've been with Coach Kleiman for seven years, they just call me the performance coach. Now, it's performance coach on the mental side. I'm not helping them lift weights. I don't know the plays. I don't teach them plays. It's all on the mental side. So it'd be a mental performance coach. At the end of the day, the titles sound different. It's really the, the work is very similar, if not the same. So does every team have uh, counsel in this capacity? In the whole, in the, in the sporting and maybe even not just football, but, you know, basketball, like, is this, do they have people like you that, that this is their, 
genius. Every, every team does not, but I think more teams are recognizing the importance of it. And I think the more that the Kevin Loves come out and people talk about depression and they talk that, you know, Kevin Love coming out, it's almost like, you know, hey, NBA, hey, Cleveland Cavaliers, like, could you do something for me here? Because you haven't mm. done it yet, right? And so I don't know the answer, but I'd be willing to bet if we researched that the Cleveland Cavaliers probably didn't have a guy that does the work that I do working with the team. Otherwise, Kevin Love maybe wouldn't have come out and said those things. I mean, it was very public with Kevin Love. He had a deep-rooted depression and struggle. Have you noticed that the, the best teams have people that help them with things that you yes. normally think wouldn't be the factor like there's go, there's go you, you you could start picking away at different organizations you could say all the ones that you see win the championships and the answer is yes and i'm, I'm going to preface this these questions because i have never watched sports i so i i'm completely i know nothing about so i i don't know like what is it made of but who who coaches these young adults, uh, you know, as much as I, I don't know. So a lot of times you'll have coaches who will have trusted advisors, the coaches, it could be a sports psychologist. It could be a performance coach like me on the mental side. It could be an author. You know, one of, one of my mentors in my life is a guy by the name of John Gordon. And John really doesn't even position himself. Doesn't even really like coach. He didn't consider himself a coach. Yet he, he, I would say, is a trusted mentor to many of the head coaches, for those who, who do love sports, of teams that you've seen win championships. I mean, whether it be the Miami Heat, whether it be the Los Angeles Rams, I mean, he's worked deeply with coaches, and he's an author, right? So there's some, somebody that helps these leaders slow wow. down. And, of course, it's in the business world, too. I mean, I do just as much, if not more, work in the corporate space than I do in the world of sports. I didn't even do anything in sports until 2011. The first five years of my speaking, writing, and coaching career, everything was corporate. And so to this day, I'm doing corporate work. What led to the sports? What, 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 how did that transition? Because at face value, uh, I, I'm not thinking that that would be a natural transition. <clears throat> yep. Was there a specific mentor that opened that up or an, uh, an event? Or did you really want to get involved in the? So my, I've always loved sports. So I did always like the idea of getting involved in sports. And, but, you know, did I, did I know the breakthrough that was going to happen? I didn't until I got a phone call. And the the phone call was from my old high school basketball coach. His name is Todd Basler. And he, he, Coach Basler and Coach Johnson, that was his assistant, Edward Johnson. These two men, have played such a significant role in my development as a man. <clears throat> the lessons that they taught me, being able to go to them with issues. They loved on me when I was in high school and I needed it. They are actually a character in two of the books that I've written. That's wow. how Own Your Success and Leave Your Legacy, okay? One, one of the characters in the book is literally named after my two high school basketball coaches. So that's the coach Todd Edwards in the book. And so that's the impact they've had on my life. Coach Basler called me in 2011, and he used to call me, but he actually still calls me Benny Boy. He's still a, a dear friend of mine. He calls me in 2011. He said, Benny Boy, he said, this team is underperforming. I need you to come fire him up. Now, I was the guy in high school who I could shoot the ball, but I was slow. I couldn't jump. 
And so I was like the voice. I was the captain, of the, one of the captains of the team. And so they relied on me for energy. <clears throat> he remembered that. He called me to do this with these young men in 2011. I show up. They were playing the number 10 team in the city, Parkway Central. I'll never forget it. And I just cut it loose in that locker room, gave them a pregame speech. Wow. And they ended up winning the basketball game. And that's when my work in sports started. And so I think a lot of people, they hear Alabama and oh, Nick Saban just called me one day. No, no, no. I have gone back to my old high school now for 10 straight years. I've never received a dollar of compensation. I wouldn't take a dollar of compensation from my old high school because those coaches meant so much to me. They poured into me and they gave me the opportunity to open this door in sports. So my work in wow. sports, my work in sports was for free for my old high school basketball team. So the moral of the story, I think a lot of times in the world today, everybody's looking for money, right? Well, I have this expertise, pay me. I have this, pay me. Sometimes you have to truly go with your heart and what matters to you and what you're excited about, and the money will end up taking care of itself long-term. What were you doing in the beginning of the financial services sales career that you think increased your sales to the point where people will be like in another state would say, Hey, we'll pay you 500 bucks to come show us, explain to us what you're doing. What, what, what was it that you were doing as a salesperson? So I, I didn't call, there were three things that I'll give you. Number one, I didn't call it the burn at the time. So our podcast is called the burn, right? Cause I believe that there's something that, that many individuals miss and there's this burn there's this fire inside of us as i alluded to earlier and the burn is what actually ignites your why and your purpose that then causes you to take the necessary action to perform at your highest level a lot of people just talk about why and purpose which is so important but they forget to really understand that deep-rooted fire that ignites the why and the purpose i didn't call it the burn back then but i shared with you because of my mother's story I had this fire in me. So that was number one. I knew the fire and I was going to just fight to be my best. <clears throat> the second thing was I had clarity on who I wanted to become. Not celebrating, even though I got off to a fast start, I wasn't celebrating the success. I was constantly saying, what do I want to build? So I believe there's a great question. Grab your future and bring it to today. So if anybody's struggling with, I don't know my why, I don't know my purpose, I don't know what I want, okay? Grab your future, bring it to today. Paint a picture for me of what you want. And so I remember I was 25 years old. I was renting a room from a friend of mine when I started in the business, right? And I'm renting this room from him. And I was thinking to myself, I'm 25, I'm single, I had no kids, I hadn't even met my wife yet. And this is kind of a funny thought. But I thought to myself, I want to be the dad who shows up to school in sweats any day that he wants in the middle of the afternoon and have people looking at him going, does this dude even have a job? <laughs> and and, and, and for, for some reason, at, at 25 years old, I had that visual. And that caused me to say, if you ever want to have something like that, you better work today. Wow. That type of a vision and so I wanted to go to my kids' doctor's appointments. Those are things I thought about before I even had kids. So that caused me to work differently every day. And then the third thing that I did, I went and found out from our managing partner, I said, who are the top performers in this office? And I researched them. 
What do they do? How do they show up? How many meetings do they keep? How many phone calls do they make? How many times a day do they ask for referrals? And that in conjunction with a guy by the name of Al Granham, who had studied and wrote a book, 1,500 financial advisors that he studied. I said, okay, if this guy studied 1,500 and these are the most successful and there are some synergies here, then I'm going to take what they did and I'm going to add just a little bit extra and that's what I'm going to attack every day. How did you find, did you read that book? Oh, you had to read the book. It was part of your training. I mean, they literally gave you this book in training. What led you to read it though? Because the average person buys 17 books and reads less than one. I'm trying to get down to that, right? Yeah. Well, you could have just cheated. (laughs) I mean, you know, you have the burn, you have the future, you see it, but who needs to read? Just work. (laughs) Well, I, I, I've always been a believer. I was I was the guy who got a nineteen. I, I was the guy who got a nineteen on his ACT. So if if somebody was going to teach me the way to do, something, I don't even know what an A. What is an ACT? <laughs> I'm I'm serious. I was actually like when I was preparing, I saw you on a podcast and you guys were talking about that. I'm like, what is That's an ACT? An entrance exam for college. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I never got a GED, so I, I don't know what an <laughs> ACT is. Like, like uh, <laughs> we're all curious here. We got a lot of people listening that some have went to school, some didn't, some right? but everybody likes to like learning. I'll tell you that. If they're listening, they like learning. So, Thank you so, for clearing that up. Now I know what an ACT is. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> is there a grade for when you didn't even know what it was? I'm just trying. exactly. But seriously, so, why did you read the book? Um, and how did you I read, read the, the book, book? because I, I mean, the honest answer is I was told to read the book, like the successful people wrote, read the book and that's what they mm. did. So I was like, I'm going to read the book. Like I didn't, you're coming did you read with, it in a day. Did you read a couple of pages? No, um, it was at a first, time. Was how a, did you approach it? There was a, there was a training schedule. And so the training schedule, it was over three weeks and there were different modules that came out of the book. So essentially it was like we were given homework every night. So I just mm, kind of read wow. the book as we, as we went along and you get through the training and you read the book. And so what was your schedule after that for working it? You're 25 in the one bedroom. You're thinking of the future and you know why you're in this business. So, so here, here's what's crazy. I have never, I have never been asked this question and I've never given this answer. And probably the, I don't know how many interviews I've done over the last 15 years. Okay. So it's fascinating that you just asked me, uh, that you just asked me this question. So let me take you back. It's a three-week training program. When you're done with training, they turn your contract on to become an advisor, right? Because they say, well, if you're in training all day from eight to five, don't turn your contract on because your first year production is what measures your success and your results. Mm. Guess when I had them turn on my contract? When did you have them? Take a guess. So it was a three-week training class. Everything I just told you that I researched. What's your, what's your guess? So they said, "Oh, you did it immediately, so you could work." Exactly. Day one, I literally told them April nineteenth, wow. April nineteenth, and they said, "Are you sure?" And I said, "Yep." I said, "I'll have two to three meetings every night when we're done with training, because that's the way that I was yeah, driven." That's, you're a beast. <laughs> I ended up. I, yeah, I ended. Up, nobody's ever asked me this question, so I'm having, I'm gonna have fun talking about it. I feel good that I guessed correctly. Now it's amazing. (laughs) I expected this out of you. So I literally, I mean, this is an amazing, that's a beast level. That's anyway, (laughs) go ahead. 
Now so I'm bluffing you. We'll just go, go. I, I ended up I ended up selling eleven life insurance policies while I was in training. That was more that was more in three weeks than some full-time advisors that have been doing it for 10 years sold in a month. And the people were like, What in the world are you doing? Holy moly. You're, you're supposed to be in training. And I said, <laughs> I don't <laughs> That's actually really funny. <laughs> Wait, okay, so you, you, you're training during the day, and then what? You went home? And so then you I would literally, you'd be done with training, and I would schedule one dinner appointment, if not two dinners. Sometimes it would be a 5.30 dinner and a 7.30 dinner, or it would be a 6 o'clock dinner, and 7.30, 8 o'clock, I was going to somebody's house, or I was meeting them for a late-night coffee. Is the, point of, is the point of the meeting at the house that they potentially could benefit from having life insurance? Correct. Because, you know, if people aren't, you know, listening, they don't, even, they, even they the may not meeting. have it. If you pass, that could save your families. I mean, that's Correct. the premise. Correct. Even, even the dinner meetings. I mean, that was the intention, right? We used to call them fact-finding meetings. So you'd sit down okay. and you ask a lot of questions to learn what's important to determine, is this somebody who wants the, you know, wants the insurance or not? Right. Do they Are there any scenarios? Now I'm just generally yeah. curious about this. Uh, cause, gen- Cause like life insurance, something I'm interested in where we're, we're, we're that's on our agenda this year. Um, obviously, you know, I'd be one very lost puppy without Jenna. And I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'd be the one to go first. I was like, it's not even a joke. And she always makes sure I know that. But <laughs> well, I, 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 lo- I love, I love Jenna and I know you would be lost without her. hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, just, you know, can't even set this shit up. Uh, but anyway, so, so <laughs> it's just the truth. So is there a scenario where someone wouldn't benefit but based on like from the like meaning is i'm thinking everyone needs it but yeah go like is there is there a scenario where you're fact finding and it's like ah this wouldn't be a good idea i unfortunately it's sad and we could go down a path we could do a separate podcast on this but you learn a lot about human behavior and what people's priorities are when you when you talk about these questions I literally had, I remember there was one guy, one time I couldn't believe it. And I'd known the guy for years. We're talking about life insurance. He had two kids and he says, well, I'm not going to buy life insurance. He goes, I have a small policy through my work. And he goes, that's enough. He said, my wife's employable. And I said, what? Like your wife's employable. Oh my! (laughs) So like, that's how much you care about your wife, which is if God forbid something happens, you're fine for her to, to, to just go find a job rather than taking care of her and giving her peace of mind to, to do what she wants, maybe to mourn your death. Instead, she's going to worry about getting a job. I mean, I couldn't believe what I heard. So, yes, to you, you got a big heart. You care about Jenna. You guys don't even have kids yet. That's the way you're thinking. I enjoyed working with people like you, mm. people who said things like that, like, I'm out the door as fast as I can. Like you have to have a heart. I can't work with somebody. How important is it uh, as a salesperson to, to, to say, maybe say to, to, to get out that door if someone's not open. Oh, like, is that something that you, that you, that you really were tuned into? Like, yes. well, I'm not going to convince this guy out of that. So like, what was your process? Cause I, I feel like that's really practical for the listeners. Yep. So for those listening, let's go back to the seduction of success. This is one of the main reasons why it's important that you're not seduced by success. If you're in sales, I don't care what you're selling. If you're selling widgets, if you're selling cars, you have to have a huge pipeline. 
How do you get a huge pipeline or a, a big list of open opportunities? You work really hard and you create those opportunities. Well, if you have very few opportunities, Jay has to say hello because I got to pay my bills. Or he has to say yes because I got to pay my bills. If I have a massive open case list and I sit down with somebody like Jay, who's a pompous ass and says that his wife is employable, Mm. My open case list is big enough. I can walk out that door, scratch your name off, and I am good to go. I will go meet with somebody else. The problem is, is if we're not working hard enough, you don't care what they say. You don't care what their integrity levels are. You don't care what their values are. You just want to sell them something. And I hope those individuals that are hearing this, I tend to be a direct person because I care that much. Mm. But if somebody's hearing this and this is bothering you because that's what you're doing, it's an easy solution. Just work harder so that you're not in position of having to work with somebody who has no integrity. So increase supply of opportunity. Correct. And you're by focusing on that, that doesn't even bring up the other worry. Doesn't it doesn't because sales is a numbers game. I, I would love I would love for anybody listening or anybody in the world who's ever sold anything, you reach out to me. And I will give you my house if you have never heard the word no in a sales scenario. You've sold every single person that you've ever asked to buy. Like, that's not the way that it works. You're going to hear no. So it's a numbers game. You're, not everybody's going to say yes. So you have to have lots of opportunities. Did mental training come naturally, you think, because of your success with sales and <laughs> that no yes conversation, that no yes dichotomy? Mental, mental training came easy for me because of what I saw with my two eyes before I turned eight years old. So what ended up happening was, mm. you know, go back to me being a seven-year-old kid and we had 24-hour nursing care in our house. And my mother was coming. My parents were divorced when I was six months old, as I mentioned, never knew them together. So if you all can picture, my mom had this little TV room, then she had her bedroom. And I remember when 24-hour nursing care came into the house removed all of the belongings from her TV room, turned into a hospital, and she would walk one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, to the dining room table with an IV stand, sometimes with one nurse or two, to ask me how my day was at the school. So for me, that's provided perspective. If Jay and Jenna tell me that they don't want to buy life insurance for me, it's okay. I'll go uh, call somebody else. Right? Like. That wasn't a big mm. deal to me. I was able to shift my perspective. And so I teach a concept called the power to reframe. It's our ability to focus on solutions rather than problems. And so I think for all of us, we have to look and say, what's the tough situation I've been through? I'm not the only one that has a story. Every single one of us listening right now, you have a story. And so oftentimes, story of pain or challenge gives you perspective so that when you think something's really bad, like somebody telling you, no, I don't want to buy that, you've been through worse. Keep it moving and let's go create a different opportunity. Were you ever afraid or against sharing your story, sharing yourself? I've always been open and transparent. That's, that's the way that I've been. <laughs> Maybe too open and, and transparent for some, but that's the way that I've always been. I just, it's, it's just been very natural for Where me. Where do you think that comes from? I've never, 
I've never thought about it. <clears throat> I've never thought about it. You know, it may be. Comes from a, it, I think it comes from a dark place, actually, Jay. <clears throat> I think uh, it probably comes from what I experienced maybe, you know, in the house after my mom died where I, w I wasn't getting the love and care and let me show you. So it's more likely for me to be transparent because I want to share because I didn't get to. It's mm. probably, it's probably really, I would, I would imagine that's probably what it is. Well, that's, that's a profound thought. Do you think that a, a lot of people are missing out on relationships? I mean, think relationships with themselves, relationships with others, because they may be in the same position and uh, not even know it. They may not even know they could be closed off. I, I encourage leaders. And, and once again, I say this humbly, it's not to impress anybody, just like you do, Jay. You know, you and I have been blessed to work with really high performers and leaders at very high levels. And we get to learn so much, but some of these high performing leaders, I always share with them, be transparent. Your greatest acts of leadership come from showing that you have a heart, showing that you have passion, being transparent. Who wants to learn from the, from the man or woman who gets up there and leads and just tells you how perfect they are. I mean, to me, it's almost narcissistic, right? It's almost like, Give me a break. You are a human being. You do have a heart. So I believe more in transparency and authenticity as a leader. <clears throat> what? So I was in preparation for our conversation. I stumbled upon one of your interviews and you were talking about the box. Yep. So I went to my laundry area and I looked at the box, my box. Really? And I, 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 well, first of all, I want to tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to go look at it after this. How did you do that? And of course, people listening don't know what we're talking about yet, but how did you, what, what, what should I do? I don't, This is why I do what I do, Jay. Yeah, I mean, thanks, by the way. Because I've been putting that off for a while. <laughs> so, uh, um, I know uh, you are, even though we are, we are new friends, our, our interaction and what you've done and how you show up in your life, I have a tremendous amount of respect for you, similar to you know, my coach, Drew Hamlin, that's 31. I know you're 29, but I just have just a tremendous amount of respect for how you show up, the detail that you put in your work, the impact that you have, how I've heard your clients who are friends of mine, you know, speak about you. And so, uh, you know, once again, you, you all can't see us, but I think from the silence and the change in our voices, you all know what's happening right now. Jay and I are both emotional. And what Jay's referring to is, uh, when I was just a couple years younger than you are right now, Jay, I was, right, so it was a difference of two years. When I was 27 years old, <clears throat> I was living in a townhouse. It was the first house my wife and I had lived in together. And my wife was pregnant with our son, Isaac, who's now 13 years old. So <clears throat> maybe I was, oh, my goodness. Dude, I was 29. Holy cow. Yeah, I'll be 30 on July 9th. So, uh <laughs> 
Jay, this is crazy. <laughs> I was 29 when I opened that damn box. Really? Well, yeah, I, that, ju- I was just kind of freaky. I, I thought. Well, hold on. I thought it. I thought I was 27, but we were packing to move to the house that we live in right now. I'm 42. We've been here since my son was six weeks old. That means I was 29 years old. Well, and if I'm correct in my prep, you started the, the your company, the speaking at 29. So that would make sense. No, no, no. I started. Right? Oh. I started speak. First time I ever spoke was when I was 26. This is actually my 16th year of speaking. But I mean, 15 years that I've been doing. I'm in my 16th year. But so I was 26 when I first spoke. 42 now. I I had already been speaking before I even opened up that journal. Yes, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm saying is that your that, second book was after the journal. Correct. And that correct. was when you were, so that the eight, that makes sense. 29 would have been when yeah. it was because. It's, it's 29. And so if I could take everybody, so as I mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a very anal person. And so in our garage, we had these clear plastic tubs lined up on the wall. I mean, just downright anal. And then there was this one, two men in a truck box, two men in a mover's box in the upper right-hand corner. And I remember my wife, Amy, she comes out and literally I'm sweeping out the garage when we're moving, right? And the all, she goes, what in the world is in that box? Now I knew what was in that box. <clears throat> Jay, just like for you, something brought some emotion to you. You either do know or you don't know or you have an idea of what you think is in your box. And so my box was given to me when I was in college so go all the way back. So this is now 10 years prior to me being, so I'm a sophomore in college. I walk into my grandmother's apartment. My grandmother has this same box sitting on this little coffee table. And she says, this is some of your mother's belongings. I, I look in the box as a 19 year old kid and it was medical records. And then there was this journal. And it was an old blue mead notebook. And I open up to the first page of the journal, Jay. And I'm, I'm an emotional guy. And you and I are both crying right now. And I cried so hard, I almost couldn't move. I couldn't speak. Mm. But you had to take the box, right? And so I said, okay, thank you, Grandma. <laughs> Why did you give this to me, right? Thank you, Grandma. And so I literally wrapped that box in two rolls of duct tape. That box went with me back to Michigan State. When I moved to Chicago, the box went with me. When I moved to that, where I was renting the room with my buddy that I lived wow. there, the box, every move I made, Jay, and the box was never opened until Amy said to me, what in the world is in that box? I knew what was in there. So I rip it down. I open it up. And sitting up at the top of it was the blue journal. It was an old notebook, but it turned into a journal. And I stood and I opened up to the first page and I cried like a baby again. I was crying so hard. And Amy walks out, pregnant with our our first son. She walks out and she says, what in the world is going on? And I couldn't speak and I just handed her the journal. She goes inside and she read the journal cover to cover and she came back out and she said, you are just like your mother. Wow. She said, you have got to read this. And so I sat, I pulled it together and I read page through page through that journal. Jay, there were things. So here I was, and, and this is what's interesting because a lot of people say to me, they're like, how do you remember your mom? 
you were you were seven years old. Like, how do you? If all you had was seven years of something, you have a lot of memories, right? Yeah, so I've had yeah. these tremendous memories. How my mother spoke, the way she did things, the way she tucked me in at night, conversations. The way my mother showed up to that day, all these things impacted my life. There were things that I would say from stage, Jay, that were in this journal. There were belief systems that I had. So I open up this journal, and one of the, the parts of it that I always share from the stage, it said, beat the statistics, beat the odds, live with the disease that is chronic and fatal, believe in yourself, combat anything, purpose in life. Jay, it was stuff that I was saying when I was wow. speaking, and I'd never even read the journal. And so I read the journal, ended up writing a book about the journal, and uh, but this is blowing me away because... I literally was 29. And so this, this, this is why I do what I do, right? It, it's moments like this. Well, I, 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 I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to do some. I need to take some action because you, you, if it wasn't for this conversation, I would not be grabbing this shit because I've, I've, but I am going to put it on the table because I, after we're done talking, I am going to look at all this. You can see it. There's oh boxes. my goodness! Because um, a couple Hold years on, ago, so here, here's, I, here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do. We're either gonna do this is gonna be amazing. We're gonna do this whenever you're ready. Because I don't know what's gonna happen when you get into this box. Because I always encourage people. Everybody has a black box. Some people it's a little box. Some people it's a big box. But you have to go inside your box and figure out what holds you back and let it go when the timing's right for you. When you go into that box and when you're ready, whether it's a year from now, four weeks from now, you're coming on my show, The Burn, and we're going to talk about what we just experienced together and what you're whenever you're ready. There's no pressure whatsoever. I want you to experience this emotion for you. But I think there's something really powerful and deep that just happened on your podcast. And I think it's going to be pretty powerful. I will damn everyone subscribe to the burn podcast, Ben Newman, uh, B E N N E W M A N hundred billion percent. I'm going to do that. And, but I'll say, I, I, I just said, I do it. So I have to look at this when we get off here, there's really no way around it. Um, and part of the value of having this recorded is, uh, everyone in the world knows that that's how you say There's no, and, uh, but I'm curious because I don't unless, remember unless it, unless you trash the interview. And I'm like, Jay, when, are you, when are you gonna when are you gonna release our interview? <laughs> oh yeah, it was a computer glitch. Uh, but God, I don't want to hope for that. That's happened twice in the history, so I don't want to put a bad omen out there. Uh, we're good. It says recording. We're good. Uh, I don't have memories though, so I'm curious about. Do you have anything that you don't remember from? And I'll I'll preface a bit. Amelia dosis is very rare, a rare uh, illness that your mother was struck with. Not very normal to have that under 40. Um, and so she was with you and then she was gone. And you remember things. Are there things you don't remember that, that you or that you didn't and then you remembered later? Or was everything vivid and clear for you and that's been a clear driver for you because I, I can definitely empathize but i don't remember a lot of things so yeah there, i want to like was there things i have 
I have a lot of memories. I mean, I, I mean, if I, if I really sat, I could tell you story after wow. story after story with like deep clarity. I mean, <clears throat> this is how crazy it is. This is probably, and I, I'm just, this popped in my mind because I did this at lunch today. I love drinking iced tea and I drink, when I drink iced tea, I have to drink it with sweet and low. My mother's boyfriend was a guy named Alan. And I remember going to a pizza place. I was probably four or five years old. And the pizza place, this little townhouse that I was just telling you about, when we moved into that neighborhood, this pizza place I'm about to tell you about was right down the street, like two minutes away. It's coincidence. You would walk down these stairs to get into this pizza place. And I remember sitting at the table with Alan, my mom, my brother, and, and me. And Alan would take the sweet and low and he would shake it so that the sweet and low would go to the bottom of the packet so that it would evenly go into his tea. And I still do that to this day as a 42-year-old man. I I don't know why it's that way, but there are crazy detailed memories that I have of things and experiences with my mom. And I could tell you story after story after story after story. It's wild, Jay. It's wild. Because I think for me, the only way I can explain it is what I alluded to earlier. It's all I had. Right. So if, if I have a, mm. like my, my relationship with my dad, I've probably forgotten more because my dad's still alive. Right. My dad's 75. I've got 42 yeah. years of stories. I only had seven. And if you really break it down, I don't remember anything from one, two, three, probably. Right. So yeah. how many years was it? It's really only a couple. That's all I had. So I remember a lot. What for does this have to do with business with success right i'm thinking someone that is coming into this conversation the other thing what what is this because you talk about the burn so what is this so have to do with business have to do with success from your perspective so what i have found so there's a there's a very powerful question the question is i already said it once what holds you back Okay, so if we could go back to that 29-year-old Ben who opened that box. At 29 years old, I was already doing some things. I was already pretty darn successful. I had already do it, been, I opened up that box, and all of a sudden, there were some things I was, I was able to unleash that next level. Okay, and so for me, there's different periods of time. They're like defining moments, and I could tell you so many of them where I reach this pinnacle. Okay. We unleash that next layer thought you next level, unleash that one, next one, unleash that one. And it happened to me recently again. And, and this is kind of a wild story, but, and this all speaks to the burn, like the deeper you go with, I'm a big believer. Everything you need is already in, you, but we have to have a willingness to go in and get it. And a lot of it is emotional, giving yourself permission to go get it. Just, attaching to that burn, going deeper, really exploring those layers inside of you to really go attack life. And so here's something that's wild. Mm. My wife and I, so Amy and I will be married 15 years in November. And it just hit me this year, every time, every Mother's Day, so on May 15th, Mother's Day, you could picture this, you would have come into my house and I buy Amy a dozen roses. That's a life lesson. Make sure that you guys, you know, for those of you that are married, buy, buy the roses on Mother's Day. And so the, the roses are in the center of this big black oversized island in our kitchen. And every year, Jay, 
I literally will say to my wife, can I take a rose? And she knows where I'm going. I know where I'm going. I take one of her roses in order to go see my mom at the cemetery. And I always take that rose and I put it down. It's been 15 years, Jay, that I've been doing this. Or I'm sorry, 13 years. Isaac's 13. So 13 years that I've been taking one of her roses. I do it every year. And this year, I put the rose down and I felt, and I first, it's the first time I ever tied it together. I said, that rose is my wife's connection to my mom. That's like Amy giving her one of her roses. That's the only connection my wife and my mom will really ever, and it blew me away. Like, how did I, I never thought of it that way. Mm. And I got into my car and I was bawling. And I literally said to myself in my car that day, I said, I am going to unleash a completely different level of myself to honor my mother on a deeper level. Ended up calling a friend of mine who there's some additional charitable stuff. It's a whole nother story. But the point is like, that was another defining moment. Like, why didn't I think of that rose until now that that rose was this connection? I did it for all these years, but it was like a deeper connection. And so I think everything happens just like for you. Today was supposed to happen. You were meant to go and find, you like why did you, how did you in find that interview, right? To talk about the box. Like how are we right, I'm to, trying to think which how, one how was I? I think it was Sam, days? rest in rest in peace, Sam, who recently passed wow. back wow. to your because uh, that was the second yeah. one I watched. Shout out to mm. the dad, um, the dad podcast. That was really good with, with, with Larry. Um, yeah. And I, I was watching Sam, yeah. who's no longer with us. Great man. And you mentioned the box. And yeah. I'm thinking, wait, dude. Box. <laughs> That's crazy. I have a couple boxes because <clears throat> recently my <clears throat> adopted mother, Barbara, gave me the box. And now I know things about my biological mother, Linda, but... Hey, I haven't looked at all this. So that is a call to action. I'm like, dang, I, you know, what am I? It just, it helped me, right? I'm the viewer. So I'm a viewer on that podcast preparing for this interview. And now we have our viewers listen to this conversation. Now I'm thinking, whoa, this is the, this is the chain. This is the domino effect. Because I am going to now take action that I have been sitting on and yeah, my entire life is dedicated to developing personally, just, just as another caveat. <clears throat> and all day long, that's what I do. I read six hours a day, I write, I talk to people, I interview. And now I'm going to go open up these boxes, uh, and I'm very excited about it. And, and hey, now part of my thinking, ah, I'm not going to learn anything new. Uh, but <laughs> I can even think like, ah, that's just me afraid to look at this so thank you for that um what are you thinking right now that's my question <laughs> I'm, I'm actually I, none I, of this I, is planned like no at all. I, I, I'm, I'm very mind blown for a couple of reasons and you know I'm, I'm mind blown from the fact that i was 29 and you're 29 i i'm, I'm mind blown it's, it's really it is so impressive i mean i noticed in the manner in which you interviewed Brian at the top contractors, well, just how you prepare sitting next to you at that event, your level of intentional focus and taking notes when somebody else is speaking, like it's, it's tremendous. And so I'm just, I'm just kind of mind blown right now that your level of intention led to this moment happening. 
and then your level of intention leading to this moment happen. And then the, 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 the two 29 year old, it's almost like something really deep is going to happen as a result of this. I am. I, I, what I would like to know what's, what are you, I'll, tell, what, actually, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Actually, I, I'm, yeah, I'm going to foreshadow, but we, we're going to, we're going to ask for Brian's blessing live on a, uh, live on a podcast interview, but in December at the next top, top contractor school event, I think, and maybe we save it for then and then do the burn episode after it or whatever order we come up with. I think you and I need to share the stage and share this conversation and talk to everybody about their box. Cause th- this, this happened for a reason. This happened for a reason. Well, okay. Well, I can say this. Um, I love the idea. And I'm open for the conflict that would presuppose us figuring that out together. Um, and I will def- I will bring it up to Brian because, of course, <clears throat> this is his decision to do anything. <laughs> I, I, I got to turn. It's always about that's the thing. You know, it's so easy to make decisions. I love the idea. I'd be honored, and I will talk to Brian and see what he he gets. Yeah. And then uh, then I would then it hits me automatically. No, no, I I also need to talk to Jenna because she. <laughs> yeah, she she always sees things in a, in a whole nother way. So, but I love the idea. I definitely want to do. You may, the you may think we're both crazy, and this is a terrible idea. <laughs> well, that's one of the values of having a significant other that is not just like you, which is a whole other podcast episode that we could do. Which we'll have to set that up. I didn't, I could talk to you all day long, my friend. Uh, so, what, 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 I'll, I'll, I would like to end. I guess segue. You know, potentially future conversations for our listeners. Um, what do you see is you've been involved in personal development for a decade and a half, speaking, authoring, sharing, advising, coaching. What do you see is you were recently, we met in person at an event together that, and, and you've been a part of ecosystems of mentorship. What do you see is, what do you see is happening in the, in the personal development industry social media, uh, speaking events, is it getting, is it changing? It, what is it for you? Where do you see yourself involved in it? What are your thoughts on that? And, and, then, and then of course, like, should people get involved in that? They have no idea what I'm talking about right now. Well, I, so I, I think this speaks to personal development, but I, I think it really speaks to the world in general. I think everybody needs to slow down. You know, to me, and I'm just, I'm, I'm going to once again be direct because I care that much and I want to answer your question. Everybody's a speaker, author, and a coach right now. Everybody. You go online, everybody's a speaker, writer, and coach. And they write these bios that make it seem like they've done, and it's like, okay, there's not a single stage I've ever, there's no, you couldn't show me a picture and you've actually never spoken on a stage. You've yet to write a book, but you're currently writing a book. And you actually have never coached anybody for a fee, but you're a speaker, writer, and coach. And I share that example, and I know it mm. might be pain. I'm, I know it might be painful if there's anybody listening who's currently doing this. But have patience and have willingness to do the work that it takes to write a book. Have patience to build your career as a coach. Have patience to go on stages for free, like I did for my old high school basketball coach. Have the patience to say yes without trying to create some person that you are that hasn't happened yet. 
It's one thing to believe that's what I want to become mm. and have an affirmation. I am an author. I am a speaker. I am a coach. It's another thing to tell the world that's who you are when you're not doing it. And so, you know, I just want people listening to say, whether you're, you know, selling widgets or you're a financial advisor, be willing to slow down, stay connected to your burn, have patience and put in the work one day at a time. And if you do that, you're going to write one hell of a story. If you keep hiding in this fallacy mm -hmm. and telling people everything that you're doing, you're probably so worried about people figuring out if you really did it or not, you're probably not even going to do the work because you're so worried about getting caught. Because when you actually end up having to stand up, it's, it's just a cloudy picture. Have you seen that happen? Like billow out almost like oh, exponentially I, in the last yeah, few years as it's, uh, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's, do you think that's a symptom of the good advice of believing in yourself becoming almost like bad action? Maybe well, even there, without awareness. That's a very a, interesting topic. Actually, a whole podcast worthy topic. There's no doubt. And, and there's a difference between believing in yourself and telling somebody that you've done something that you haven't done. It's like the person who it's like the person who writes a resume and I'm coming to work for the Duran companies. And all of a sudden I submit the resume and you're a guy who does his research. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, the last six jobs, they didn't even exist. The world doesn't work that way. Like you, you're, you're only allowed Okay, at least in my in my Good. world, you're only allowed to put on the resume what you actually did. So I'm not saying don't believe in yourself. I hope people are getting this right. But don't lie about what you did. That's not mm. belief in yourself. That's it speaks such an important but it's, I I've only had one person ever on the Culture Matters podcast that asked me. They convinced me because I'm open to being convinced otherwise. Part of the reason I I ask people to come on it keeps the, and I believe that's why we have 91.7% listening time, meaning this episode will be listened to. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah the average listening time is 91.7%. And I believe it's because of that investment of time and of saying no to those that ask the higher likelihood that they may not be ready yet. Now, I, I don't want to disenfranchise those that were exactly where I was at one point where I am just believing I could do something and I'm running around, right? Like yourself, 25 years old <laughs> and, and, in the and, one and, bedroom. And, and so was I, but I didn't tell anybody that I had did it. I had told people this is where there's a big difference between saying, yeah, can you explain that difference? Almost like you were explaining yeah. it to a third grader. And I don't want yeah. to be derogatory. Like uh, I'm not being condescending. My intention is not to be condescending to anyone, Me but either. I'd like to understand what you mean by that. Cause I really do believe it's such a profound insight that I, I haven't talked to a lot of people about this. That's okay. This, I, I'll give you a perfect example. When I was in training class, back to when I was a financial advisor, back to the story earlier where I was literally said, turn my contract on day one. <clears throat> we had a huge training class. There were three people, me, Brian Levinson, and Jared Leathers. That was a joke. You're supposed to laugh at that. It was like a tiny training class. There's like nobody in the training class. So, <laughs> so <laughs> Dude, I'm sorry, but yes, Jetta, I'm not a funny person. So let's just... <laughs> I'm just going to deviate to that. It's not your fault. <laughs> there are people laughing so hard at home. We can't hear them. <laughs> Maybe that All was right, funny. So, <laughs> so, so Cara, Cara Faust was the director of training. She goes around the room and she says, what are your goals? 
And I told her, I said, I'm going to be a forum rep. Now, a forum rep was the top 2% of production for this Fortune 100 company. I am going to become a forum rep. That was my goal. That was my affirmation to myself. Had I met you on one of those early dinner meetings and they say, how long have you been with the company? Well, I just got started, but I, I'm, I'm forum. I'm in the forum. I made forum. I lied. I didn't make forum. I believe that I can be forum. I haven't done it yet. Is that, yeah. you see what I mean? So those are the things where everybody wants to tell you what they did before they did it. And what I'm saying is have a big goal. Absolutely believe in it. Share your goals with other people. Jay, this is what I believe I can do. And then you pull it back and say, I'm going to work hard every single day. I'm going to take the ups and downs, the challenges and adversities that come along with getting there, but I'm never going to stop believing in myself. And one day I'm going to be able to look at you and tell you, I am a forum rep. And guess what? It took me four years to get there, but I ended up becoming a forum rep. So I believed in it, but I had to work for four years to get there. It didn't happen year one, even setting all those records. It still took me four years. I am so excited that we ended this first part on that note because that is, I got a lot more questions. So <laughs> everyone that's listening, listen to this three times and then share it to someone. Ben, I want to be honored your time. Um, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Um, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Culture Manage Podcast. And just one final word that you'd like to share with our audience before I well, first off, th thank thank you to you and uh, and to Jenna. I appreciate you so much. I look forward to many great times uh, together in the future where I, I will get you to laugh and we will bring out that funny side. I also look forward to opening up uh, opening up that box with you together. You're going to do it yourself, but what I mean by that is having a conversation around what you find for yourself within that box. And the last thing I'd share is the greatest life lesson I've ever learned which came from my mother. It's not how long you live. It's how you choose to live your life. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you all for listening. And we will see you next time on the culture matters podcast. Okay.